Welcome into the Most Accurate Podcast. I'm Anthony Stalter, joined as always by 444 Senior Editor John Paulson. How are we doing today, John? I'm doing pretty good, Anthony. How are you doing? Doing good. I can't wait for the football action this weekend. There's a lot, lot to get to on this podcast. We've got two huge stories that have hit over the last 24 hours, so we'll get to those two stories, and then we'll also wrap up the podcast today with your sneaky starts. Before we get to any of that, though, tell us about the music that brought us in. Yes, this is a, a song called I Can See My House From Here by The Glands. It's from 2001, uh, their 2001 self-titled album, The Glands. Uh, it's the eighth track off that album, so I just added it to the Most Accurate Podcast playlist. Uh, if you check it out, it's, it's actually a very well-regarded uh, album. Uh, a lot of people, after I commented on Twitter a while back, said that that album is really excellent front to back, so check it out. Let's talk about the Thursday night football matchup. The Jets pulled off an upset. It was a small upset in terms of the Vegas line. They're only a three-point dog, but in terms of public perception, with Buffalo being a possible wildcard contender this year, it was a significant one. The Jets, I thought the biggest takeaway was how well they ran the ball. Forte finished with 14 carries for 77 yards and two touchdowns. Powell had a couple of big runs. He finished with 74 yards, including a 51-yard run. And then McGuire got into the action as well. He had 30 yards rushing on 13 carries. And McCown scored a a rushing touchdown, plus threw threw a passing touchdown. Your biggest takeaway, uh, was it with the Jets running game, was something from a Buffalo standpoint? Uh, well, Robbie Anderson involved again with the touchdown, five targets. Jermaine Kearse, six targets. I was a little bit surprised that Austin Safarian Jenkins wasn't more involved. He's been very involved lately. Uh, but just two targets for him, 20 yards. Uh, the backfield for the Jets is still a head-scratcher because last week I think it was 17-10. to 10, uh, Powell touches to Forte touches. I think it was just 17 carries for Powell last week. Um, and now we've kind of flipped the script. We have 18 touches uh, for Forte. Powell didn't have a catch, so he just had the nine carries and ran the ball really well in those nine carries, but didn't see more work after that. So it's a, it's kind of a head-scratcher. It's kind of what we thought when we started the season. If you remember, we were uh, debating whether or not Powell was going to be the lead back, if it was going to be more of a time split. And then as Forte didn't get cut and he kept hanging around the team, uh, we started to move Powell down because we just weren't sure that that Forte was going to to go away quietly, and he hasn't. He had the two touchdowns. And then on the Buffalo side of the ball, the biggest surprise to me is Tyrod, not Tyrod Taylor, uh, LaShawn McCoy being unable to run the ball, uh, 2.1 yards per carry for him, only 12 carries, and then just a non-factor in the passing game after, you know, being one of the most uh, pass-heavy running backs this year, only had one target, on 40 uh, pass attempts by Tyrod Taylor. Uh, Taylor had the great garbage time, uh, two touchdowns, 285 yards, 35 yards rushing, plus another touchdown. That's a huge week for him. Uh, and then Zay Jones finally caught a touchdown pass. He had six catches on seven targets, which is very efficient for him. He's been dreadful uh, in his efficiency. Uh, very you know highly targeted receiver, very few catches. Uh, but then he had the uh, knee injury, came back, and then tweaked it again. So we don't know what his status is. Deontay Thompson took advantage of uh, the extra snaps. Ten targets, seven catches for 81 yards and a touchdown. I actually had him ranked fairly high compared to my peers once we learned that uh, Kelvin Benjamin, who we're going to talk about a little bit, wasn't going to be um, active, which wasn't real surprising because they just traded for him and it was a Thursday night game. So 
then Thompson kind of moved up in our rankings uh, at once inactives were uh, released. Uh, Jordan Matthews still eight targets, but just six catches for 46 yards. So that's where we are with this <laughs> this Baltimore, or Buffalo uh, passing game. And you did mention Austin Safarian Jenkins. He should have had a 20-yard touchdown pa- uh, touchdown touchdown reception. I mean, he he was called for push uh, push off, but I, uh, I didn't see it. And he should have he should have definitely came down with it. And his fantasy line would have looked uh, a lot better. I only bring that up because you've been high on Austin Safarian Jenkins, and he and his final numbers should have been a lot better than what they were. All right, let's move into the the biggest news of the day. Friday, there was some big news that came out on Thursday night involving Deshaun Watson, obviously. But let's get to Zeke Elliott. Uh, Zeke is going to play, it looks like, on Sunday. The Second Circuit Court has granted Ezekiel Elliott a temporary stay of his suspension, and he's going to be eligible against the Chiefs in Week 9. We know that it's a great matchup against a Kansas City run defense that has been horrid this year. So I don't want to spend a lot of time talking about Ezekiel Elliott. We know he's a good matchup. Owners are going to have him in the lineup. What I want to know from you is what did we learn based on the fact that we thought Ezekiel Elliott was going to be suspended heading into this week. Yeah, this was uh, illuminating. I'm going to use that word. Uh, because we thought <laughs> we thought that Zeke uh, was going to be out. And then Jerry Jones uh, said on the radio that Alfred Morris was the number two back. Uh, it was confirmed that he was going to start. And then we also found out that Darren McFadden was third on the depth chart. Uh, after Alfred Morris and Rod Smith. So, you know, Zeke is probably going to end up being suspended. We're going to, I guess we'll find out. There's a three-panel judge that's going to look at this next week. Maybe he wins. I don't know. I, I've given up trying to figure out what's going to happen with this. Uh, I would hold on to Alfred Morris right now if if I had him. Um, because I think if, if Elliot's out, he's going to be the lead back. He's got more value in, in standard formats than PPR because he doesn't catch any passes. And then behind him, you could look at Rod Smith is a very deep league option because uh, if something happens to Morris or if um, or if Morris just disappoints, then they could. It looks like Smith's ahead of McFadden, um, so you could do that if you're looking for help at running back as more of a late season sort of option. Uh, and then McFadden is you know in PPR still has a chance to work his way into a larger role. He's been inactive the entire year, and you know that has indicated that he's behind uh, Morris at least. Uh, Smith does play on special teams, uh, which might indicate why he's been ahead of McFadden this year, um, but certainly not Morris. He doesn't play on special teams, so it looks like Morris is uh, going to be slotted in as his number one back with, with uh, Smith and uh, McFadden behind him once, once Elliott is suspended. Sad news last last night, so Thursday night, because we're recording on Friday. Deshaun Watson's going to miss the entire season with the torn ACL that he suffered in practice on Thursday. That news came courtesy of Adam Schefter and also the Houston Chronicle. Devastating news for Deshaun Watson, devastating news for the Houston Texans, and really football fans in general, because I felt like Deshaun Watson was lighting up the league. Everybody wanted to see him play on Sunday. The game between the Texans and the Seahawks last week was one of the best football games that we've seen all season long. Deshaun Watson was also the the leader in fantasy points. Um, So obviously owners are going to have to adjust here with Deshaun Watson out. And then now Tom Savage back under center. What does this do for Deandre Hopkins, Will Fuller and Lamar Miller? Uh, Yeah. Tom Savage is actually a decent start this week, uh, given the matchup against the Colts. Uh, So 
when I when I put in Savage into the into the uh, rankings, it was it was interesting because uh, I basically I you know downgraded the passing game to basically what his yards per attempt is uh, career wise, and you know looking at his interceptions and touchdowns and all that. And he came in, I think, at 19. Deshaun Watson was our number one ranked quarterback, and then uh, DeAndre Hopkins, prior to the injury, uh, was our number one receiver. Will Fuller was like number seven. Uh, after I put in Savage, Hopkins stayed at number one, which means that his he was. I didn't look at the uh, points per game or point, projected points prior to the injury and after the injury, but his projection must have been so high that even with the downgrade, he's still a really good start this week against the Colts. Fuller dropped into the uh, 20s. I think he's uh, low 20s, 22 or something like that in standard. I still think he's a decent start uh, in a short week with six teams on by. Uh, I want to ask you this, and maybe this is a touchy subject, but it, it seems like Colin Kaepernick would be a perfect addition for this team, just from a, f- a football standpoint, um, the way he plays uh, compared to the way Watson plays. And... I'm just going to get out of my soapbox here and say that, you know, the, he's, he's good enough to be in the league and maybe there's a way to bring him in and not, and, and, and you know, with the assurances that he's not going to make a spectacle um, during the, um, during the anthem uh, and the, the promise being, or the commitment being that the NFL throws some weight behind a commission to look at uh, police brutality and why it uh, affects uh, blacks, uh, African Americans at a higher rate, at a much higher rate than whites. Uh, maybe it goes back to what Doug Baldwin was suggesting, which is more. He's, I think, his dad's a cop. Um, more police training and how to de-escalate uh, these situations, and maybe that's a way for this whole NFL uh, anthem protest thing to kind of come to a conclusion: is that uh, all parties involved understand what the the, the protests are about. Uh, you know, one side thinks it's disrespectful to the flag. That's understandable. But the other side is protesting a certain thing that's going on in our society and people are ignoring it. So maybe some attention, a commission or a conference about it, uh, leading to some some reeducation and some more training for, for police officers would alleviate this whole situation because it's turned into a giant circus with our president chiming in. And now the Texans won't do what's best for the football team because they're afraid to, to bring in uh, Kaepernick who started this whole thing. So I, I think that's the, I think that's the way out. What do you think, Anthony? Well, you know, John, I mean, that's, that's a very intelligent, uh, intelligent, you know, um, statement there. Unfortunately, we're dealing with a, a league that they don't want to get on the same page as uh, when, in terms of NFL and NFL PA, we see this with Ezekiel Elliott. They can't get on the same page and come to an agreement, and they're trying to go in and out of the court system, which has just made a whole fiasco out of it. The other problem with the Houston Texans just specifically signing Colin Kaepernick is that Bob McNair, their owner, just stepped in it a week mm-hmm. ago when he made those comments about you know how you don't want uh, the inmates to run the prison. So I don't see Bob McNair doing it specifically, and I think that the other aspect here is that these owners are obviously they view their franchises as businesses and they know that a large contingent of their fan base wouldn't want Colin Kaepernick on the team. Now, I think all of that gets thrown out the window if Colin Kaepernick turns the Texans into a playoff contender. And then I, I, I doubt that um, the majority of Texans fans you know, would, would care as much because their team is winning. But that's, that's kind of beside the point right now. So I agree with what you're saying. I, I think that the NFL could do a much better job 
in kind of reaching out to its players, having having an open voice and moving forward on this issue instead of you know constantly being on a treadmill. But specifically with Bob McNair at the at the helm in Houston, I highly doubt that this is going to be the team that 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 rolls the dice on Kaepernick. Yeah, I, I just feel like uh, definitely they're just spinning their wheels now with this whole thing, uh, and it's it's become okay. You need to stand. We're going to force you to stand, or we're trying to encourage you to stand, or you should stand. And we're just losing sight of why they were protesting kneeling uh, in the first place. And if we could address the concerns of the players, and now with the with the understanding that going forward we're going to stand for the anthem, then I think that's the solution that makes everybody happy. But uh, I, I think uh, everything has gotten such to be such a divisive issue. Uh, one side is just seeing red on it and not thinking logically, in my opinion. Uh, and, uh, and, and the Texans are three and four right now, uh, and could potentially make the playoffs They're You know, they're in second place in their division, Jacksonville, Tennessee are both four and three. And right now they're going to run Tom Savage out there because he's the best option at quarterback for the remainder of the year, as far as we know. And just to reiterate, and we can move on. You're right. Cause one side is viewing this as a anthem situation whereas we're we're so far removed from why Colin Kaepernick originally decided to sit he didn't he didn't decide to kneel it That's wasn't true. until he spoke with uh, a mil- I think it was a former military um member that that told him hey it, w- it would actually be better if you kneeled so we're so far removed from that original stance and we're just concentrating on you know whether or not a player should stand for the national anthem or not and and it just the message has been completely lost me personally always stand for the anthem. I think it's to to me it is disrespectful not not to stand given what military members give have given to our country, our fallen soldiers, our fallen men and women. Um, that is my personal stance on it. I can also see why they're doing it, and I think there needs to be an open discussion. But either way, we're we're again we're so far removed from the original point that all of this has just become a bit of a fiasco. We'll move on. We'll, we'll talk more uh, fantasy football now. So the 49ers placed wide receiver Pierre Garçon on injured reserve with a neck injury, effectively ending his season. He was the 49ers' number one wide receiver. He had already caught 40 passes for 500 yards through eight games. He was on pace for a 1,000-yard uh, season, John. Now you've got Marquise Goodwin. You've got Trent Taylor. You've got Aldrick Robinson. George Kittle's also in the mix at tight end. Are any of these wide receivers, or, or uh, Kittle being the tight end, Will they benefit from from Garcon being placed on IR? Well, first, I just want to pour one out for my man Pierre Garcon because he was <laughs> one of my favorite picks this year. And I, weirdly, I mean, he had a bad game last week. He missed the second half due to the neck injury, which I think people forget because I got some pushback on Twitter saying that he's ruined their season. Like drafting him has ruined their season. Uh, two people specifically came out on Twitter and were giving me grief about the the recommending him as a pick heading into last week he was the number 18 receiver in ppr formats and number 30 uh in standard and he had yet to catch a touchdown uh this is dealing with a, a quarterback change from brian hoyer to uh, a rookie uh bethard's um mid-season and he still is like outperforming his draft position uh in most drafts i think he was going 35th or to the 40th range in standard and then was going uh, 25 to 35 and PPR, depending on the, the ADP that you looked at. So uh, I don't buy it. I mean, I got to give him a pass for when he, you know, hurts his neck this badly last week. 
Um, so I, I stand by that pick. I stand by the volume that he was seeing. I think he was on pace for 80 catches for a thousand yards and that included last week. Um, so, and who knows if Jimmy Garoppolo, which we'll talk about in a little bit, if he had, um, come in, what that would have led to for Garcon, but I, you know, uh, Marquise Goodwin, I think is your best play here. Uh, it's just not going to be pretty, I think moving forward with this team because of the, the lack of talent. Um, Goodwin's more of a speed guy. Aldrick Robinson's kind of a speed guy. He should play more. Trent Taylor is, you know, maybe a look worth a look in PPR formats. He's a slot guy. Uh, and if he, if his targets jump three, four targets per game higher than they are now, uh, he might be worthwhile in uh, deeper PPR formats. Any thoughts on Andrew Luck? He's officially placed on injured reserve. I think we this was like the worst-kept secret in the National Football League. I didn't think he had any shot of playing until about week eight, and now we're in week nine, and he's been placed on IR. Any thoughts on Luck? Uh, no, I think he'll be back next year. Uh, this is kind of a lost season for, for the Colts. They're two and six right now, so they're just, they're just, they just see the writing on the wall, and they're going to... They're going to shut him down, and Jacoby Brissett will be the starter the rest of the way. How about this? Josh Gordon, who's only 26 years old, he has been reinstated by Roger Goodell in the NFL on a conditional basis. He had a reinstatement hearing on Wednesday. That obviously must have gone well, and he can resume practicing with the Browns on November 20th. He hasn't taken any snaps since 2014. I don't really know what to make of Josh Gordon at this point. Would you pick him up if you had a a roster spot in one of your teams? Well, I think from a dynasty, you know, keeper league standpoint, he's worth uh, worth a look. If you look at his upcoming schedule, uh, you know, if he's able to play week 13, he would uh, face the Chargers, Casey Hayward, the Chargers. And then week 14 is the Packers. So that's a potential start there. And then Baltimore, who are third in adjusted fantasy points allowed to wide receivers. And then in week 16, Chicago, fifth in adjusted fantasy points allowed to wide receivers. So there's really only one playable game for him. And that means he would have to come back in week 13, look good. uh, And then you would start him uh, against the Packers. Uh, So I don't really think it's worth it from a redraft standpoint. I think they're better options. We also don't know what we're going to see from Josh Gordon, because he did lead the league in, in receiving in 2013. He had 87 catches for 1,646 yards, nine touchdowns, uh, 117 yards per game that year. Uh, which is incredible. But then the following year, you know, building off of that, you would think he played five games, only caught 24 passes for 303 yards, no touchdowns, averaged 61 yards per game. Uh, So which Josh Gordon are we going to see now? What was he doing in 2014? Was he uh, doing shenanigans off the field and not taking care of his body and, and uh, uh, you know, getting the most out of what he, his athletic ability Uh, because the following season he missed the entire year, due to the violation of the uh, substance uh, abuse policy. So they don't have a quarterback still. Uh, I would not f- really feel any, uh, you know, demand to go out and get him and, and redirect for him. So I think in, you know, still at 26, he's worthwhile pick up in, in, uh, in uh, dynasty leagues or even in keeper leagues where you can uh, keep a guy year to year uh, for fairly cheap. If you pick him up off the waiver wire. Good use of the word shenanigans, John. Yeah. Shenanigans. Let's talk about the trade deadline. We'll start with Kelvin Benjamin. This was probably the most surprising trade of the of the entire week, at least if you consider what Adam Gase said about Jay Ajayi following that Ravens-Dolphins uh, game. He kind of thought that maybe the Dolphins uh, were ready to move on from Ajayi. But let's start with Kelvin Benjamin. What's, what's his upside now in Buffalo, and what's the impact on Carolina? Uh, 
Well, I think, you know, I mean, I think I've said multiple times on the podcast that, you know, from a free agency standpoint, I don't like players that go from one team to another team unless they're getting a clear upgrade in quarterback or a clear up promotion in terms of how many targets they're going to see per game because they tend to lose efficiency on a per target basis going from one team to another. Uh, it takes a while to get into the offense. It takes a while to develop chemistry with a, a new quarterback. And I think that would probably go double for this move uh, for, for Benjamin going from one team to another in the middle of the season. So they kept him out uh, this week, which wasn't shocking uh, because it was, it was such a short run up, but they have an extra, you know, couple of days of practice now where they can get him involved in the offense. And I'm sort of like optimistic about his role in Buffalo, because if you look at his upcoming schedule, uh, it's, it's uh, the saints, the chargers, uh, the chiefs 30th and adjusted fantasy points allowed to wide receivers, the Patriots 27th, uh, the Colts 29th, Miami 16th, and then the Patriots again, 27th. Um, so there's some good matchups here down the stretch. So if he has, you know, I don't think he's going to come out and tear it up against the saints or the chargers, but starting in week 12, there's some, definitely some opportunity with the chiefs, the Patriots twice, the Colts and the, uh, and the dolphins. So, uh, if he gets peppered with targets and is seeing eight to ten targets per game, uh, then there there is there is some upside here, and that definitely helps uh, Tyrod Taylor uh, with a with another option in the passing game because uh, there's just a dearth of uh, receiving talent after uh, Sammy Watkins got traded away. I mentioned Jay Ajayi; he was traded from the Dolphins to the Eagles. What's the impact there? And then talk to us about who takes over in Miami. Is it Kenyon Drake or is it Damian Williams? Oh, I also mentioned, uh, I wanted to mention the Carolina situation because it's a downgrade for, for Benjamin uh, leaving. It's a downgrade for Cam Newton, and Funchess gets a little bit of an upgrade, but he's already seeing significant targets. Um, you know, Russell Shepard, uh, and it's what, Curtis, Sa- Curtis Samuel is the other uh, receiver there, the rookie, he's the speed guy. Um, th- both those guys, Shepard and Samuel, are going to be see a big up- uptick in playing time. I don't know if that's going to lead to fantasy production and it's not clear which one of those guys benefits more. It might be more of a Greg Olson uh, bump when he gets back. So, so that's, that's wrapping up the Kelvin Benjamin talk. Uh, Ajayi, uh, the Dol- Okay. Let's just talk about the dolphins first. So I don't forget about it. <laughs> uh, Kenyon, uh, Kenyon Drake and Damian Williams are going to form a committee. Uh, apparently when Ajayi misses practices on Wednesday, which has been the case all year, uh, Kenyon Drake is the one that takes over as the lead back. Uh, Damian Williams is a good receiving back, so he should be involved in third down duty, but I think he'll actually split some of that time with Drake because he's a pretty good receiving back as well. So I think Drake is the better pickup of the two. Uh, Miami is second or third fewest uh, rushing yards per game. Uh, the offensive line is not blocking well, and they don't have a rushing touchdown on the year. So this is definitely a concern that you're, you know, you're picking up a, a player, uh, Drake, potentially uh, in a very bad rushing offense. But he could help turn it around because I think Adam Gase was not happy with the way Ajayi was running. He was looking for the big play instead of just taking the four to the three to four yards when uh, there wasn't a big hole there. Uh, so we'll see what happens there with with the Miami Dolphins. If you're in need of a running back and desperate. Uh, Drake is going to get, I think, uh, eight to twelve touches per game there for the for the Dolphins, and then moving Ajay now into the the Eagles depth chart, 
Uh, the initial talk from the Eagles is that their depth chart isn't changing a whole lot, but I don't know how that's possible. Uh, they make this trade. I don't think this is like a long-term trade necessarily with Ajayi knee, you know, his knee concerns. Um, so are they, they want to use him this year. Uh, so it's going to have to impact Blunt and Smallwood to a, to a degree. Uh, it's obviously a downgrade for both of those players because Ajayi is, it could be a three-down back for them if, if, uh, if they decide to use him that way. Um, I think for this week, Blunt is a fairly safe start uh, with Ajayi maybe being the rotational back there or not playing very much at all because he doesn't know the offense. Uh, but as you look further on down the line, I think Ajayi is going to work his way into the lead back role. He's not going to see the 20, 25 uh, touches that he was seeing in Miami in certain games uh, because of the, the the more depth that they have there with Blunt and Smallwood. Jimmy Garoppolo winds up in San Francisco, so Kyle Shanahan has his quarterback of the future. Presumably, they'll they'll resign him. I don't know why they would give up a second round pick and not at least place the franchise tag on Garoppolo. The question is, does he play this year? That is the question, and and uh, Kyle Shanahan said that he can't guarantee that. Uh, the team is zero and eight. Uh, they just lost their best receiver. Uh, so is it worthwhile to put him out there uh, to try to win some games at the end of the year um, before he really knows the offense? Uh, that's a good question. They may just run with the rookie uh, and not really try to win as many games as possible as they tank sort of and try to get the best uh, draft pick they can. Um, yeah, I think I think this trade was made with the idea that this is you know, Garoppolo is better than any of the quarterbacks in the 2018 draft class and that they want to re-sign him to a long deal, long-term deal. You know, maybe they, maybe they run him out there at the end of the year just to get him some reps in the offense, but they may, they, they may determine it's not even worth the injury risk uh, to do that. So, you know, in two quarterback leagues, super flex leagues, you could pick him up, but it just the way that Shanahan's talking about the situation, it doesn't, uh, it doesn't look like he's going to be in, in the starting lineup anytime soon. We'll get to John's sneaky starts for week nine, but I want to tell you that it's not too late to download the highest rated fantasy football app. It's called Draft. You play in real live snake drafts. You can be done under five minutes, and they last for just one week. Drafts start every couple of minutes. You can join one right now ahead of this, ahead of Sunday and Monday night's action in week nine. The best part is you can play for cold hard cash and get this. Your chances of winning are 80% better than on those salary cap sites. All new players get free entry into a real money draft when you make your first deposit, but you have to use our promo code, which is 4 for 4 That's right. Play a real money game for free just by using our promo code 4 for 4 That's the number 4, F-O-R, and the number 4. It gets even better. Draft is so sure that you're going to love it that they're offering all most accurate podcast listeners a money-back guarantee of up to $100. Just search Draft in your app store or go to draft.com and make sure that you play for free right now using that promo code 4 for 4 Sneaky starts time. Jared Goff is going to start in uh, New York this weekend against the Giants. Janoris Jenkins, the Giants' most talented cornerback, is going to be out because he's suspended. You like Goff, and you also like Jacoby Brissett against Houston. Yeah, my two other sneaky starts were Tyrod Taylor and Josh McCown. They Ooh, both uh, produced last night. So that's cool. So we'll talk about the guys that didn't that didn't play last night that you could still maybe pick up. Uh, Goff is only available in shallower leagues, but... Uh, his matchup was already pretty good, even without the Janoris Jenkins news. Uh, the Giants are 19th in adjusted fantasy points allowed to quarterbacks. Uh, Goff's accounted for at least two touchdowns in three of his last five games, and the exceptions 
uh, there were uh, the tougher matchups against the Seahawks and the Jaguars. So um, I feel pretty good about Goff this week, especially with Jenkins sidelined. And they are coming off the bye, so uh, they had plenty of time to prepare for the Giants. And then Brissett, uh, you know, Houston's uh, adjusted fantasy points allowed to quarterbacks is 26, so they just haven't been as good against the pass uh, as in years past. Um, the Texans just gave up 452 yards and four touchdowns to Russell Wilson last week in that crazy game in Seattle. Uh, they gave up 324 yards and three touchdowns to Alex Smith two weeks earlier. So, you know, Brissett's not going to post that kind of line, but this should be uh, a game where, you know, the Colts are able to put up some points against a, a Houston defense is still reeling from injuries. Orleans Darkwell, you have listed. I'm sure he's available on plenty of waiver wires. What do you like him against the Rams? Uh, Paul Perkins is supposed to be back. He's been out with rib injury, but Darko has been so much better um, running the ball. 5.37 yards per carry for a team that's just been dreadful the last two years. All their other running backs have been dreadful uh, running the ball. So I think that he's still going to be the lead back there for the Rams. The Rams are actually a a good matchup for for running backs, 30th uh, in adjusted fantasy points allowed uh, for running backs. you know, they're getting healthier, though, so it's a little bit of a concern. But if you're looking for a player that's going to get 12 to 15 touches um, in, in what is on paper a good matchup, I think Darkwa uh, is a good is a good uh, pickup and start uh, in a short week. He's accounted for 47% of the, the Giants running backs' uh, touches in the last three games. Moving on to some wide receiver options. I love this one. You have Mohamed Sanu listed. Sanu, I wound up starting him in a DFS play last week on your recommendation that you had him in the sneaky starts and wound up catching a touchdown. He's more active in the Falcons offense under Steve Sarkeesian than he was with uh, Kyle Shanahan. And the other wide receiver that you mentioned, the theme of the day with the Rams-Giants matchup, you like Robert Woods, who's been very consistent for the Rams. Yeah, Sanu, uh, we'll start with him. The the matchup against the Panthers isn't, great when you just look at the the passing game for the for the for the Falcons versus the the passing defense for the for the Panthers but if you look at the specific matchup uh, against uh, slot corner Captain Munnerlin it's actually a pretty good matchup for Sanu he should be able to uh to win that more often than not he has 12 catches for 139 yards and a touchdown uh on 17 targets over the past two weeks so with that kind of um usage from Matt Ryan uh He's going to be definitely in the mix here to start uh, with six teams on by. And then Robert Woods has had at least five catches in three straight games. Uh, he has six targets in his last five games, um, at least. So he's going to be up against Eli Apple, uh, given where they line up uh, on offense and defense. So uh, I think he's a he's a good start. You could also look at Cooper Cup, too. And I'm, I'm interested in Sammy Watkins to see if they, after having a bye, uh, do they get him more involved? So this is kind of an interesting situation because we, we all agree that Sammy Watkins is not getting used correctly or enough in that offense. So is this a week where they're able to move away? I think you, you have to assume that the, the ball keeps rolling the same way and, and Woods and Cup uh, continue to see heavy heavy usage in this offense. But I'm also curious to see uh, what Watkins does against the Giants. Two tight end options, Vernon Davis with Jordan Reed banged up and unlikely to play. And then you also like A.J. Derby. <laughs> I like the way you said. Uh, Jared Cook's also a sneaky start, by the way. I didn't, I didn't yes. want to bring, I have to bring him up, but I didn't want to talk about him that much. Uh, so Vernon Davis is the obvious play here with Jordan Reed out with 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 Reed out in five games in last season plus since you know last the start of last season. Uh, Vernon Davis has averaged three point eight catches 
uh, for 49 yards and 0.4 touchdowns per game. Those are solid tight end one fantasy numbers. Um, so he's a plug and play option. Um, and then AJ Derby has been interesting. Now he's dealing with a quarterback change there. They're going with Brock Osweiler uh, against the Eagles. So it throws maybe his usage up a little bit into the air, but um, he's had useful fantasy lines each of the last two weeks. He had two for 21 and a touchdown against the Chiefs and then had six for 66 yards against the Chargers in week seven. Um, he had four catches for 75 yards and a touchdown in week four. Uh, so he's been, you know, three of the last four weeks at the tight end position, which is really dicey. He's posted a solid fantasy, usable fantasy line. Um, the the Eagles are 25th in adjusted fantasy points allowed to tight ends. And they're one of the reasons that they're really tough against runners is that they force teams to throw against them. Uh, they jump out to leads, the, and then the, the opponent has to throw the ball quite a bit, and that uh, will play to Derby's uh, favor. The other concern there is that uh, Emmanuel Sanders is back, uh, probably in the lineup, and that he might soak up some targets. But I think, you know, owners that are in dire straits at tight end um, could look at Derby as a as a possible, you know, five catch, fifty yard, maybe he gets a touchdown type of a play. And then finally, let's wrap it up like we did last week, talking about some streaming options on defense. When you look at the waiver wire this week, which defenses are on the waiver wire that you think are good starts on Sunday? Well, I know I know listeners out there are really interested in what my son Max is doing in his fantasy league, and he picked up the Rams at the Giants this week. He thinks that's a good matchup, but I agree with him. Uh, the Cardinals at San Francisco is another kind of obvious play. Um, both of those are more shallow league plays. Um, I think the Saints versus the, the Bucks at home in the Dome is an interesting play. The Saints' defenses uh, improved this year, and Jameis Winston has got the shoulder injury. Uh, has a tendency to throw interceptions, so this might be a pick six type day for the for the Saints. Uh, and then getting into the deeper pickups, uh, the Titans at home against against Joe Flacco uh, and the Ravens. Flacco's you know throwing quite a few picks. He's not as good on the road uh, as he is in Baltimore. Uh, the Titans are decent defensively, and not great, but decent. And then I think the maybe the most interesting play is the 49ers at home against the uh, the Cardinals with Drew Stanton. Uh, filling in now for Carson Palmer. He has a career 3.9% interception rate, according to pro football reference. Uh, There's only three players with a higher interception rate this year. That's Trevor Simeon, who I think has 10 interceptions, Cam Newton, who's thrown a lot of picks, and Deshaun Kaiser. Uh, So maybe a pick or two for Stanton in this game. He also has a 6% uh, sack rate, which is kind of mediocre for the position. Uh, it's like Jay Cutler, Eli Manning uh, range, so we're expecting two to three sacks uh, for the 49ers. And this might be a game where they struggle, uh, the Cardinals, to score the ball because uh, with, with Palmer out, David Johnson obviously out, they're going to try to run the ball to Adrian Peterson, but they've telegraphed that intention with a news blurb on uh, Roto World about that. Um, so, you know, the 49ers know what's coming. Uh, maybe Stanton's not able to deliver. I think that's an interesting play there, the, the 49ers, because they've been competitive uh, this year in these eight losses that they have. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's John Paulson. I'm Anthony Stoltz. appreciate you joining us on the Most Accurate Podcast. You can follow John on Twitter at 444 underscore John. You can follow me as well at Anthony Stoltz if you're so inclined. 
Good luck this weekend in all of your fantasy leagues. We'll see you on Monday's edition of the Most Accurate Podcast, where we break down the injuries and latest RBBC situations around the league and then preview that Monday night football game between the Lions and John's Green Bay Packers. Until then, we'll see you next time on the Most Accurate Podcast. Thanks for listening.